Thank you, brother. I, uh, <clears throat> good morning, everyone. Good to have you with us joining by online. Uh, I, I mentioned to the early service that um, Brad kind of reminds me of a modern-day Paul. Um, I know that's kind of a high compliment, but, you know, it's really... I hope you were listening carefully to all of the full circle details of everything he was talking about. You know, but Brad, just such a humble guy, uh, just a wonderful family, and, and uh, God can do a lot through people who are just willing to be used. And so, as I was mentioning earlier, Brad, thank you, and Sarah, thank you for letting us as a church be a part of what God is doing through you. Really, we're the ones who are blessed to be just a, simple, a small part of it. Amazing, isn't it, to go from just a couple people to now 60 people who are doing that and then just the goal of reaching people with the gospel is is just absolutely phenomenal so great update thank you so much please continue to give if you want to know more about it please see brad and sarah afterwards and uh, you can find out more about the ministry all right a couple other things to just let you know about next sunday is another special sunday we've had this in the works for a while brenda uh, brenda newton is going to be preaching for us he's a young man in our church that uh Joey and Barbara's son, who came to me a couple months ago and said, you know, hey, I'd, I'd kind of like to preach sometime. I'm like, you know, uh, not many young men say that. And so I said, well, we're going to give you the opportunity to do that. And Allie and Christy Harden are going to be with us as well. And so I hope you'll come and support him. As uh, I remember the first time I was given the opportunity to do that. It can be a little uh, daunting, but uh, if you have a good support team, out there encouraging you. It certainly helps a lot. So who knows what God is going to do with that. So that's next week. And then September 8th, the WANA starts. Uh, there was a meeting this last week. You know that if you're part of the leadership of that. And then also our Disciples in Action will start as well. Um, I do have some Matthew books. That's not our study for Disciples in Action. I just have some of those notebooks now. Uh, actually, I'm waiting on some more to come in. I gave all of the ones I have out this morning. Uh, if you do want one of those, let me know. This last time I make mention of that. It's just a, a nice little notebook with a scripture on one side and a blank page on the other if you do want to take notes. But those of you who wanted one, those next sets should be in any time. And then finally, an uh, exciting day for us and our family. Uh, tomorrow's my wife's birthday. And I'm still looking at her as the 23, almost 24-year-old she was when we got married a lot of years ago. And so uh, greatly blessed. Uh, by the way, I try to make sure that I send email, I mean birthday wishes to those of you who I know that uh, your birthday. So if I don't have your birthday, send them to me so I can say, happy birthday to you, right? Just send me a text or something. Give me an email saying, hey, my birthday's coming up. You say, well, I don't like anybody to know. Listen, change your thinking about that because God gave each other to each other, right? In other words, your birthday is a special day for us because we get the privilege of knowing you and having you in our lives. So let us celebrate your big day, okay? Because it's a big day for us too. Birthdays should be recognized like that, right? Okay, well, let's pray, and then uh, we'll look at a couple thoughts today. Father, we thank you, uh, Lord, for the privilege, as I was saying, the privilege that we have as a church to come alongside uh, missionary families and missionary organizations like Global Gates and Brad and Sarah, Lord, it's been such a joy to walk along with them all these years and, and just to see what you're doing and how obvious it is that it, it just takes willing hearts. Yes, organization. Yes, understanding. But all of that you supply. Uh, who would ever know that when Brad and Sarah had the idea and their 
uh, co-founders had the idea that you would do such an amazing work. We, we do remember when they came back home to the States, and all of this was just in the future. And so we're just rejoicing that you give us the privilege to be a part of it and pray that you would continue to do much more. And Lord, as we look into your word for this morning, just for a few minutes, we pray that you would encourage our hearts, that you'd even take us back to the songs that Pastor Hamp uh, brought up this morning because uh, they really do help us to see the clarity of what you have done for us. And so now, Lord, as we complete our time together this morning, let us rejoice in your word as it brings refreshment to our souls. And so we thank you for this and ask in Jesus' name. Amen. All right. Well, you know, there, is always a, there are always a lot of interruptions in what we do, and that's just simply because we try to follow what the Spirit says to us, uh, not in a weird way, but just by his guidance. And so this morning... I felt like uh, in light of some things, we need to go back and remember uh, what we should know. Uh, that's often necessary. So I'm going to step away from chapter 10. This seems to be a good place to start. So we'll have next week with Brendan, uh, and then uh, we'll get back into Matthew. Uh, but I do want to go back to a message that uh, I did for us back in January. And I titled that, What to Remember in Trying Times. If you remember, we were just on the heels of election, a lot of things changing, COVID has been so fresh in our minds as it still is, uh, but it, back then I felt like there were just some things we needed to remember and keep our minds settled on. So I don't normally re-preach messages, but I thought that I would do that today with some changes, some edits. If you remember that message, you know there would be a little differences in this, uh, simply because I felt like in our world today... There are a lot of people, and you're not necessarily privy to this, but there are a lot of people asking me questions that I want to try to give answers for. Uh, and what's happening that I'm noticing is that God's people are struggling with remembering what God has already told us. And what I mean by that is not that they're not aware of the text, it's that life begins to drag them down in ways that are not healthy and not helpful spiritually. And so what I want to do this morning is not so much preach as much as I do want to remind us from a, a shepherding point of view. Uh, so I want to kind of be a shepherd this morning and just lead us in remembering what God has already told us that I'm hoping will help you be settled as you look into your world or into our world right now with all the craziness that's going on. Okay? Because God has blessed us in an amazing way. In other words, as a pastor, I just don't want us as God's people, at least in, if there's anything I can do about it in the hearing of God's word, to be so distracted by the, the fear, quite honestly, uh, the anxiety that comes from the issues of our day, uh, to where we're kind of ineffective, really, or, or we get weighted down to the point where internally uh, we struggle, even with one another. And that should never be the case. And so let's just do that this morning as I point out some things that we need to remember. Because our hearts are just so easily gravitated towards fear, we don't want to do that. So I've just titled this, What to Remember in Trying Times Revisited. Okay? So we'll just look at what the Lord says here. Number one, I think this is critical. And these aren't necessarily in a, in a hierarchical or any kind of sequential order. Uh, I really just sat down and looked through the message from last January and um, pulled out some things that I thought were good to remember. But number one, to me, as you're going through trying times, is to remember this world is not our home. I think that is critical. 
And for those of you that have been walking with the Lord for a long time, this may sound somewhat elementary, but uh, from the chair that I sit in literally uh, and talking to people, whether it be through Zoom or counseling situations or just on an everyday basis and from where you sit, I think that's essential that we remember that this world is not our home. It is so easy, so easy to get lost in the fact that, well, but this is all I know. This is where I was born. This is, I'm human. I, I experience and I feel things and, and I watch things and I see things. And, and that's all true. We're not minimizing any of that. God did put us here for all these reasons. But we really need to remember that ultimately this is not where we belong. Listen to what the Lord says through Paul in chapter 3 of Philippians. Our citizenship, he says, is in heaven. Our citizenship is in heaven. That's key. You need to remember that. You know what citizenship is. It's that technically that place where we have a right to belong. It is official. And so when the government here does a citizenship check, if you will, with the census, they're saying, you know, you have a right to be here. So Paul says to the church there in Philippi, remember that our citizenship is in heaven. It's not here. From which, now listen, also we eagerly wait for a Savior, the Lord Jesus Christ. Don't you love how the Lord is so clear? He doesn't leave any room for questioning. Who will transform the body of our humble state into conformity with the body of his glory? Boy, that's enough to just go home on right there, isn't it? By the exertion of the power that he has even to subject all things to himself. So what Paul is really saying here is that as he's shepherding the church in Philippi, and we're going to see many other places, is he's saying, I don't want you to lose focus of the fact that you are not of this world. Remember that as you read, as you hear, as you see, as you think, as you feel, and you experience. Keep it at an arm's length, so to speak, because you don't belong here. This is not your home. He would say this to the church in Ephesus, you are no longer strangers and aliens, but you are fellow citizens with the saints of God's household. You're part of a bigger family. You may not know all those people. Brad gave us a little inkling, uh, indication of just that just a few moments ago. We were much, we were much part, of a, a part of a much bigger household. Colossians 1.13, my favorite verse in the Bible. He rescued us from the domain of darkness and transferred us to the kingdom of his beloved son. All of these things, even to different churches, the Lord is saying the same thing. The Lord himself said when he was here, my kingdom is not of this realm, when he was talking to Pilate in John 18. So number one, as you look at the world, just keep in mind, this is not your home. Okay, This is not your home. Number two, with that, remember that nothing is going to change your position in Christ. Absolutely nothing. Nothing will change who you are in Christ. Listen again to Paul, to the church in Ephesus. In him, talking about Jesus, that's being in his spirit, with him, that's what he means. You also, after listening to the message of truth, the gospel of your salvation, having also believed, you were sealed in him with the Holy Spirit of promise, 
who is given as a pledge of our inheritance with a view of the rede- to the redemption of God's own possession to the praise of his glory. I want you to notice three things that Paul says in this verse. He brings up, number one, first of all, you listened. That's critical. To receive the gospel, there has to be an opening of the heart. There has to be not just a hearing in the head, but there has to be a hearing in the heart. And that's what he's acknowledging. He says, you church, you listened. And secondly, when you listened, you believed. And so that tells us that believing comes from really listening. Some people will say, well, uh, I don't know if I can trust or really believe what the Bible tells me. Well, that's because you're not listening. You may be hearing, but you're not really listening to what the Lord is saying because believing comes from really listening with the heart. And then finally, Paul says, you were sealed. When you listened to what God was saying, you were saved, okay, you believed, and then he sealed you. Now, that word sealed is an official mark. It's an identification. It was uh, something that people would have understood in that day that the official would have, have had the, the ink and the stamp that had their seal, particularly for them as the authority in all things for that particular situation. It represented security. When you received the letter, if that's the case, then you were secure in knowing that this was for you and nobody else. And so when you think of being sealed, God is saying, look, you personally, you individually have been sealed by me. Isn't that beautiful? Sometimes I think, well, I know he's protecting the church and he's protecting, you know, the, the, the nations of the world who believe at large. But no, what God wants you to understand and remember is that if you're in Christ, if you have trusted him as your Lord and Savior, you personally are sealed by him. You're secure. And the second thing it meant, it was authenticity, meaning the document was not a forgery. The seal represented the reality of the person sending it. And so God is saying, look, this is not some pastor telling you this, but this is me, God, saying you belong to me. You're safe. Thirdly, you are under my ownership, which is what I was just talking about. And I have the authority, finally, as the document sealer, if you will, to take on or give out whatever information that is is valid. And so as the letter would come, people would receive it and they would say, oh, okay, this carries the authority of the one who's delivering it. And so understand that the God of the universe, the Savior of all, has sealed you under his own divine authority. So that means, beloved, that nothing's going to take you from the power of God. Again, I'm talking to a lot of fearful hearts these days that are, like all of us, struggling with our own future and what the world's going to look like. We think about the world for our grandchildren and for our great-grandchildren, our own children. And, And there's a sense in which fear can start to rise up in us. And so I want you to just understand from God's word that nothing will overcome us through God's divine power and nothing will remove us from the family of God and therefore understanding that we can be under his divine control. Now, with that being said, let's be honest and understand that this world is not going to get better. It's not going to get better. There may be times where it gets better. We work for a better world. That's our calling. That's our job as Christians. We'll talk about that more in a minute. Uh, but the reality is our world will not get better. Now, that's not to be a, just a naysayer or a doomsdayer, but the, that's what God has said. 
He has acknowledged that in 1 John 5, 19. We know that we are of God and that the world lies in the power of the evil one. For now, this world has been given over control to Satan. That doesn't mean that God is not ultimately in control. He is. He always will be. But temporarily, during this life as we know it in the history of man, this world lies under the power of Satan. So Satan will only do one thing. That's evil. And he will only spread darkness. Right? So we just have to be aware of that. We've got to remember this. John 14, 30, Jesus says, I will not speak much more with you, for the ruler of the world is coming and he has nothing in me. And that's just a, a simple situation where Jesus was with his disciples and he was instructing them. But he was making clear to them, my time has not yet come to take over full control of the world. That will come as he will sit in authority and judge the world. But for now, we should not be surprised. That's what I'm saying. We should not be surprised with what we see. Does it hurt us? Yes. Does it bother us? Yes. Does it cause us to be fearful? Yes. All of these things create a lot of things in us, which is exactly why I'm bringing this up this morning as a reminder. We must continually go back to what we know. We must remember these things, or our minds will be easily taken captive by the evil controller of this world for now. Now, again, going on here, you must remember the world is spiritually blind. I mentioned this a lot last week. I'm not going to spend a lot of time on it, but let me just read a couple verses here so that you'll see this. 2 Corinthians 4, Paul says to the church there, even if our gospel is veiled, even if the world doesn't get it, it's veiled to those who are perishing. In whose case the God of this world has blinded the minds of the unbelieving so that they might not see the light of the gospel of the glory of Christ, who is the image of God. You say, that sounds really strange. How can he do that? Well, remember, God has given him a certain control over the things of this world and the people of this world. And so the people who have not listened and have not believed and who are not sealed by the Holy Spirit because they have given their souls over to the living Christ are blinded. They're blinded by the God of this world. They don't understand. They think they understand. But then in their misunderstanding, they make decisions and make comments, make statements. You see it all the time in tweets and posts and Facebook and everything of people who think they're meaning well, but they're not meaning well because they're blinded by the God of this world. And so we are to be patient with that. I didn't say excuse But we're to remember that we're here to be lights so that the darkened world will see the truth. John 8, 12, Jesus again spoke to them saying, I am the light of the world. He who follows me will not walk in darkness, but will have the light of life. Boy, how precious is that? How precious is that? Jesus says very clearly, if your heart is in me, you know me as your Lord and Savior, you will not be overcome by the darkness. You will live in light. And so, clarifying that the world is really full of darkness, he also says to those who follow him, don't worry about that. Just keep your mind focused on me. Okay. Now, because the world is blind and that the world belongs to Satan, you have to remember that puts us in direct opposition with the world. And so we will be persecuted. We've seen that throughout history. You and I don't really know much about persecution. We feel it in some ways. It's growing. certainly is growing much here in this nation. 
Jesus very clearly said in John 15 to the disciples, if you were of the world, I love that, if you were of the world, the world would love its own. In other words, the world would never give you a problem. You'd never feel any pushback from the world. The world would embrace you just like it does everybody else until they want to get rid of you just because of their own selfishness, but they would embrace you. But Jesus says, but because you are not of the world, but I chose you out of the world because of this, the world because of this, the world hates you. In other words, because I removed you spiritually when you trusted me as your Lord and Savior, your mind then was opened, and so now you're different from the world, and because of that, the world hates you. Remember the word that I said to you, verse 20, a slave is not greater than his master. If they persecuted me, they will also persecute you. If they kept my word, they will also keep yours. But all these things they will do to you for my name's sake, because they do not know the one who sent me. Now, I think there is a, a truth here that also just needs to be understood. Uh, the persecution that you and I experience may not be like what we see in Afghanistan right now. I mean, there are some horrific things that are going on. Those of you that have been a part of that and were serving over there, you know the, the pain of looking back and seeing how all this is unfolding once again. Uh, you've heard the stories recently of the women who are throwing their babies over the razor wire to the British ser service people and trying to free their children uh, because they're so desperate to get away from what's happening over there. Uh, and that's just one story of things that are going on. I think what's important for us to remember is that as you and I become more and more lights to the world and we display Christ in our own way, the world will start coming against us more and more. Again, it may not be like that. It could be just in other ways, whether it's through some comment on social media or whatever, uh, attacking you personally for your stance. God's people, at least people who are professing to be God's people, are even doing the same thing, which is one of the greatest concerns that I have as a pastor of the disunity that that kind of thing creates. Right? So you're going to feel the weight of the persecution. And, and just don't get lost in the meaning of the word persecution, thinking that somebody's going to come cut your head off. They might. But right now, what you're going to feel more so is just the resistance to, against what you're proclaiming as truth, even if it's just something simple, at least what, the, what would be categorized as simple compared to something drastic in the sense of persecution. Why do people hate us? Well, Jesus said, because you're a follower of me. But there's more to it than just that. Listen to what John says, or Jesus says in John 3. He says, men love the darkness rather than the light. For everyone who does evil hates the light and does not come to the light for fear that his deeds will be exposed. What's Jesus saying? Jesus is saying that the reason people do evil is because their sinfulness loves darkness. They love darkness. They want to be a part of what's dark. That's why they don't come to the truth because the light exposes what's really there and people don't want to deal with that. They don't want to have to deal with their pride and their arrogance and their selfishness and all the things that go with it. And, but that's what, the Spirit of God's, that's what the Spirit of God does. It illuminates the darkness of the soul. And so God says they don't come because they love the darkness. And the reason they love the darkness is because they are of their father, the devil. Jesus made that clear to the Pharisees in John 8. He says, why do you not understand what I'm saying? You of all people should know. Well, here's why. You can't hear my words because you're of your father, the devil. 
pretty clear, isn't it? What Jesus is saying is that, look, there's only two fathers, if you will. There's the Father who is in heaven, who's the creator of all things, and then there's the Father of darkness. You're either part of one or the other. There's no in-between. People can be agnostic all they want, but they're going to be one or the other according to the Lord. And that's why they love the darkness, Jesus says, is because they want to follow their father. And so I just want you to understand in all these things, what really we're seeing here in Scripture is God validating his own word. He's setting the stage, if you will, from years past up to our current time of his return imminently. Now, I don't know when he's coming back, but you just have to remember that he is setting the stage. He is preparing everything for his grand arrival. And so we shouldn't be surprised when we see what's going on in our world and and certainly not get taken aback by everything and, and assume that it should be getting better. It's not going to get better. The Lord has already told us this. But he has prepared us, hasn't he? He's come into our hearts. He's given us another citizenship. He sealed us by his own power. He's preserving us. So that even in this life, if we are persecuted to the point of death, we will still live with him eternally. Now, when Jesus, is, when Jesus was with the disciples, the disciples were doing the same thing that you and I are doing. They were looking at their world and they were just so excited that now the Messiah had come and he was going to make everything right because they could just see evil and wickedness and, and the threat against the Jewish, or the Jewish population of people under Rome. And so they were saying to him, so when are you going to set up your kingdom? But they didn't understand. They thought that he was coming to be that ruler, that uh, kingship ruler kind of over men. But that's not why he came. And plus they missed the church age. They didn't understand that everything that Jesus was preparing them for was coming later. He was coming to, first of all, save people from the time he comes back to make his grand appearance when he comes in judgment. But they still asked the question. They said, how are we going to know when these things, what's going to be the signs of your coming back? Again, in their wrong thinking, they thought it was going to be even during their lifetime. So this is what he said. Matthew 24, see to it that no one misleads you. For many will come in my name saying, I am the Christ. And many will mislead you. You will be hearing of wars and rumors of wars. See that you are not frightened, for those things must take place. Do you hear that? They must take place. But that is not the end yet. For nation will rise against nation and kingdom against kingdom, and in various places there will be famines and earthquakes. But all these things are merely the beginning of pains, of birth pains. Then they will deliver you to tribulation and will kill you, and you will be hated by all nations because of my name. At that time, many will fall away and will betray one another and hate one another. Many false prophets will arise and mislead many because lawlessness is increased. Most people's love will grow cold, but the one who endures to the end, he will be saved. This gospel of the kingdom shall be preached in the whole world as a testimony to all the nations, and then the end will come. And so in a few verses there, the Lord just lays out a description of everything that the disciples were asking. Now, do they understand it all? Quite not. Do you understand it all? Probably not. Do I understand it all? More than likely not. But there are things that we can understand here. Notice what he's saying here, if you listen carefully. He says, you will see it to be future 
as what he was trying to help the disciples to see based on several indicators because he says these things will come about like birth pains. Now, the reason I'm bringing this up is not to give us a, a theological understanding of when he's coming back again as much as answering questions as to what people are wanting answers for as they look into the world right now. The disciples were doing the same thing, and his answer was this. What you're asking me, basically, is when are the birth pains going to begin? Now, if you're a mom, you know what that's all about, right? Birth pains don't begin at the pregnancy, and they don't occur during the pregnancy. Birth pains don't start until just before the time of the baby's arrival. And so the Lord is saying to the disciples, all of what you see in the world right now will happen. He just said that. These things must happen. But know this, as my coming gets closer, the birth pains will occur more heavily. They will ramp up. Things will get worse and worse. Now you might be saying, but he said there's going to be wars and rumors of wars. And we talk about that all the time, don't we? We see wars all over the place and the growing conflicts around the world. Well, don't get unsettled by that because the Lord is not talking in this passage about just a normal everyday life, which is what we're under now. But he is saying, pay attention, pay attention because these things become evidence that even though they happen on a regular basis because man loves darkness, as my coming gets closer, it's going to ramp up incredibly. And now he's really speaking about just prior to the time of the tribulation. And we don't have time to go through all of that, but just understand there is a time of seven years that's coming where the Lord will allow evil to unleash its work for that period of time, and then afterwards he's going to come. Now, the good news is, and I'm hearing people say this and ask these questions, well, you know, is the vaccine the mark of the beast? Well, I hope not, because we need to go surround our brother here, right? He just admitted he got the vaccine, right? So we've got to be careful that we're not thinking that maybe this is the mark of the beast. Now, predecessors to things, who can say? But we've got to be careful that we're not missing what God says in Scripture because God has said before the mark of the beast comes, the church is going to be gone. In other words, you're not going to have to worry about that. That doesn't happen until the middle of the tribulation in Revelation 13. And so prior to that, the church will be gone in this thing called the rapture, which is what Paul talks about in 1 Thessalonians 4. Jesus would also clarify that in Revelation chapter 3, verse 10, when he talks about the churches. He says, look, I'm going to save you from the hour of trial. And so between chapter 6 and 19, nothing in Revelation mentions the church. And there are numerous other things that I can give you if you want that. I'm not going to take time to go through that this morning. Just understand now, there were questions on the hearts of the people in the church in Thessalonica concerning the end and what's going to happen to those loved ones who have already died. Are they going to miss the rapture? Are they going to miss the coming again of Christ? They were very concerned about it. And so Paul, not being a theologian here as much as a shepherd, just wants to settle their hearts. And listen to what he says. If we believe that Jesus died and rose again, even so God will bring with him those who have fallen asleep in Jesus. Boy, that should have been comforting. For this we say to you by the word of the Lord. Notice how Paul always goes back to what the Lord says. 
that we who are alive and remain until the coming of the Lord will not precede those who have fallen asleep. For the Lord himself will descend from heaven with a shout, with the voice of the angel and with the trumpet of God. And the dead in Christ will rise first. Then we who are alive and remain will be caught up together with them in the clouds to meet the Lord in the air. And so we shall always be with the Lord. Therefore, comfort one another with these words. Now, there's a lot in there, and we're not going to unpack all of that. I just want to point out something in the very beginning here that Paul is using to help them settle their hearts. Notice this. He gives three things here, three major themes that envelope or support, if you will, the rapture. Notice he says in verse 14, Christ's death, his resurrection, and then his return. Verse 14, he says, if we believe that Jesus died, Okay, now, he predicates everything he wants them to understand based on Christ. As Christ died, this if statement is not a question of uncertainty. Paul's not saying, you know, if Jesus did, uh, I'm not sure. He's saying, no, since Jesus died, that's what he's saying. Since Jesus died, the spirits of the dead believers go to be with the Lord immediately when they die. That's what he's saying. And their resurrected bodies then will come out of the grave in the final resurrection, as he says in verse 16. Okay, so the people were questioning what's going to happen. Well, just understand, they're going to be safe. And it's based upon just as Christ died, so will every believer also die, but they will be raised again just like Christ was. Notice Paul says to the church in Corinth, 2 Corinthians 5, He made him who knew no sin to be sent on our behalf. So that, listen, here's his answer. Why did Jesus die? Why did Jesus come to take, on, uh, take the, the payment of our sin? So that we might become the righteousness of God in him. He died. 1 Peter 2, 24. He himself bore our sins in his body on the cross so that we might die to sin and live to righteousness. For by his wounds you were healed. As I mentioned a minute ago, the second major theme in here is not just that Jesus died as the foundation of the rapture, the people of God being taken out when their bodies die, is verse 16, that Jesus was raised. For the Lord himself will descend from heaven with the shout, with the voice of the archangel and the trumpet of God, and the dead in Christ will rise. Why? Because Christ was raised. You see, it all goes back to the gospel. As Christ died, so will every believer die. But as Christ was raised, so will Christ raise those who have died. John 14, 19, because I live, you also live, Jesus said. 1 Corinthians 6, 14, now God has not only raised the Lord, but will also raise us up through his power. Couldn't be any more clear than that, could it? As God not only raised the Lord, you also will be raised up through that same resurrection power. 2 Corinthians 4, knowing that he who raised the Lord Jesus will raise us also with Jesus and will present us with you. Beloved, what's he saying? He's saying, listen, before the time of tribulation comes, the Lord, based on his gospel himself, on what he went through, will raise you up first. That's what's going to happen. And then thirdly, just based on his return, for the Lord himself will descend from heaven. In other words, as Jesus was raised up, he's coming back again. But this time, he's going to give a shout, or the angel will give a shout. The trumpet will blow, and the dead in Christ will rise first. Those who have died before us, our loved ones, 
Their, their bodies will be resurrected. Their souls are already with them in heaven, but their bodies will be resurrected. And then you and I will be caught up together with him in the air, at least those of us who may be alive at the time whenever God does this. Okay? Now, some have argued that, no, church is going to go through that seven-year period of tribulation. Well, I've got a lot of reasons why I believe that's not accurate, and I'll give you those later if you want them. I'm not going to go into them now. Just understand, before the havoc of the world is unleashed, you're not going to be here. Praise the Lord, right? Praise the Lord, you're not going to be here. So why am I saying this? Is because you're not going to have to endure the things that you're often afraid of. You're not. You're not going to have to go through the seal judgments and the trumpet judgments and the bowl judgments that God makes so clear what's going to happen on this earth. Now, will you suffer in this life? Yes, you will. But remember, you're sealed by the Spirit of God, meaning that no matter what suffering you go through in this life, you're going to be with Him forever. I think it's important to remember, too, is when we get fearful and anxious about things, remember that Satan has already been judged. Jesus made that very clear when he said in John 16, the ruler of this world has been judged. In fact, when Christ died on the cross, it was the greatest of displays of victory that hum humankind has ever seen. What Satan thought he was doing by putting in his mind Jesus on the cross through the hands of the Romans and God's own people coming against him, Jesus fought to get there to be a display for everyone to see that he had won the victory. In fact, that's exactly what Paul says in Colossians 2, verse 15. When he, that's Jesus, had disarmed the rulers and authorities. Don't you love that? He made a public display of them, having triumphed over them through him. Now, historically, that was very understood that when an enemy was defeated, they would publicly display them in the city streets, and that was a sign of humiliation. What Paul is saying here is that when Jesus hung on the cross, as cruel and vicious as that was at the hands of his oppressors, it was really the sign of victory putting to shame the demonic world by saying, what you thought was going to be good, I have turned into even better because now you are truly defeated. And he publicly displayed his authority as he hung on the cross and took back his life again. Hebrews 2, since the children share in flesh and blood, he himself likewise partake of the same. And through death, he might render powerless him who had the power of death, that is the devil, and might free those who through fear of death were subject to slavery all their lives. And then in Revelation 20, verse 10, we see where the devil and the false prophet will be thrown into the lake of fire and brimstone, which burns forever and ever and will be tormented forever and ever. And so because of all of that, beloved, everything that we've just mentioned here, you don't need to be afraid. You don't need to be overwhelmed with what this life looks like and how it appears in our human minds. In fact, God says to Timothy, 2 Timothy 1.7, God has not given us a spirit of timidity, but three other things, power, love, and a disciplined mind. And that's really beautiful because power speaks of the divine power that belongs to every believer. Every believer. God is saying, really saying, listen, Timothy, when you find yourself fearful or anxious over things of this life, remember that didn't come from me. 
Because what I have given you is I've given you my very power to live in and work through you. Listen to Paul's heart on this as he talks to the Ephesian church. I pray that the eyes of your heart may be enlightened. In other words, you hear that pastoral shepherding heart of Paul? He says, listen, church, my prayer is that your hearts will be open to this truth, specifically that you will know what is the hope of his calling on your life, what are the riches of the glory of his inheritance, and what is the surpassing greatness of his power toward us who believe. You know, I wish I had the words at times to emphasize as fully as the Spirit does here the truth of what God is saying. Is that in your day-to-day life, in my day-to-day life, we have the power of the Spirit of God working in us in every situation. Every situation. No matter how small or large, whether you're going to the grocery store, you're just driving down the road, it doesn't matter. You have the power of God working in you. So don't give in to the timidity of your soul. Do you see? You listen to the podcast, you listen to the radio, you hear the news, and and anxiousness and fear begins to grip you. What God is saying, listen, I want to enlighten your hearts. I want you to let that burden go because I have given to you my very power that indwells you. Don't be afraid. Don't listen to that. Don't let Satan talk you into something that is false. And then further, he gives us love, the kind of love that seeks the best for others. And I love this part, a self-disciplined mind. That's the mind of what we're talking about here. That's the mind that says, you know what? I don't have to let myself go down that path. I don't have to let myself go down the path of fear or anxiousness or unsettledness because God has given to me the ability to discern what's really right from what's really wrong. And I can hold on to that. And so when I feel fear gripping me, I can then say, wait a minute, I know who this is from. This is not from God. God's already told me he hasn't given me that kind of spirit. He's given me the ability to reason through things and come back to an ordered mind and not live confused in my mind about what's right and wrong. If you listen right now carefully, and I hope you are, you're listening to the church buying a lot of lies, and I'm talking about universally. People are buying lies to the point, I'm not going to speak about what the lies are, but just understand, anytime the church becomes divided... Anytime the church becomes divided, somebody's not hearing clearly. You understand that? I don't know how much clearer to put it. God is not the author of division. He hates disunity. And so when our souls are divided over things, what we need to do is we need to come back to God, repent of whatever we need to repent of, and say, God, give me a reminder of a true heart and a true mind so that with my brothers and sisters, we can walk together in harmony. But Satan wants division, and he's working overtime right now to make that happen. Now, you're not privy to all of the things that I deal with on a weekly basis, but you just have to understand the things that I hear and see and am a part of bring great concern for me in these areas. Remember again, remember now next that he is coming to judge not only Satan, but all the ungodly people. There's coming a day where God will take care of all the evils of this world. And you have to let God do it in his own way, in his own time. I'm not talking about not the authorities having their role. That's obvious, Romans 13, 1 Peter 2. I'm talking about we in our hearts 
need to understand that God will deal justly and perfectly with everyone who goes against him in his word. What we have to make sure of is that we're not going to be a part of going against his word, right? We want to follow the truth. Next, remember God wants us to live with hope, our lives full of hope. And I just want to close here with this this morning as we look at, just, just listen. Try, don't try to write this down because I'm going to go fast here. Uh, Peter has much to say about hope in a troubled world. In fact, that's what his letter really is uh, themed on, and that is living with hope in a troubled world, First Peter and even Second Peter. Listen to First Peter 1. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. Now, the context is, before I read this, he's talking to people who are just like those in Rome who are struggling greatly with loved ones that are being persecuted, okay? people that are suffering. If you have friends right now that are in other parts of the world and are under the, the domination of, of powers that are, are evil, you feel that. You know, when we talk about, I was just talking to somebody the other day about our trips to Romania. And, and when I think of Romania, I don't just think of the country Romania like on the map. I think about people's faces and names and people that I have a relationship with. And, and people, it becomes heavy on our hearts as we think of what people are going through. And so Peter wants to bring people's minds back together under the fullness of what God is saying here. And he says this, Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, according to his great mercy, has caused us to be born again to a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead, to obtain an inheritance which is imperishable and undefiled and will not fade away, reserved for you in heaven. Now what you want Peter to say is, Peter, help me deal with my Monday morning. Help me deal with Wednesday afternoon when I got to deal with this or Friday or Saturday or whatever. But he doesn't do that. He says, listen, let's remember something. The first thing you need to rejoice in is that God has saved you. Focus on that. Remember the inheritance that God has provided for you. And you see, when you do that, when you focus on the eternal truths of God, then all of a sudden the things of this earth begin to get less, right? They're not so overwhelming. We're not citizens of this world. He goes on to say, you are protected by the power of God through faith for a salvation ready to be revealed in, in the last time. In this you greatly rejoice. But watch this, even though now for a little while, if necessary, you've been distressed by various trials. In other words, in this life, yes, it's going to happen. Remember, this world is satanically controlled. It's a dark world for now. You're going to go through it. You belong to God. You are lights in the world. All the things we just talked about. And so don't be surprised. But it happens in verse 7, so that the proof of your faith being more precious than gold, which is perishable, even though tested by fire, may be found to result in praise and glory and honor at the revelation of Jesus Christ. That little verse right there, I was thinking about this just the other day as I was going through all of this in my mind and as I was driving down the road, I just started getting more and more excited about the day when the sky splits open and the trumpet sounds and Jesus says, Hello, I'm coming back. I'm here, and the world stands with its jaw dropped open because they've persecuted the one who came to rescue them. 
and you've been under that persecution and the anxiety of a sinful world, and yet you come to the conclusion that this is really happening, just like the Lord said. That's what Peter's saying here. These people lived long time ago. But he's saying, listen, if you keep your proper focus, when Jesus is revealed in all of his glory, you're not going to be able to contain yourself. And you just get overwhelmed with the excitement of it all. And though you have not seen him, you love him. That's us, right? We've never seen Jesus, but we love him. And though you do not see him now, but you believe in him, you greatly rejoice with joy inexpressible and full of glory, obtaining as the outcome of your faith the salvation of your souls. Wow. So much in that. We could unpack all of that. But just listen as Peter goes on. I'm going to read this quickly. Therefore, in light of your great salvation, here you go, here's more practical, prepare your minds for action. Keep sober in spirit, fix your hope completely on the grace to be brought to you at the revelation of Jesus Christ. So he's dealing with this, hold on to your mind, don't let your mind run crazy, keep sober, in other words, keep alert in your spirit, make sure your hope is fixed on your God. Your hope is not in this world. It's on the things to come. Verse 15, sanctify Christ as Lord in your hearts, always being ready to make a defense, very practical here, to everyone who asks you to give an account for the hope that is in you. When people come up to you and say, why are you so happy today? You're prepared to tell them. Well, just got an extra check in my paycheck. No, I mean, that's exciting, right? But let's get the point here. No, you want to know why I'm so excited? I just had a, a conversation with somebody yesterday that was giving evidence of somebody that they know, and they were saying, they always have such peace, and I want that peace. Hello? That's what we're talking about. In the midst of a very trying world, this is what the Lord is saying. Always be ready when somebody asks you for why you're having a good day. Or even when you're having a bad day, you say, yeah, today stinks. But here's where my hope is. Tomorrow, to, tomorrow's coming. So the question then becomes, how am I going to respond to everything that's going on? What am I supposed to do? How am I supposed to live in all of this? What's my thinking supposed to be right now? Well, here's what Peter says in his second letter. In your faith, supply moral excellence. And in your moral excellence, knowledge. And in your knowledge, self-control. In your self-control, perseverance. In your perseverance, godliness. In your godliness, brotherly kindness. In your brotherly kindness, love. For if these qualities are yours and are increasing, they render you neither useless nor unfruitful in the true knowledge of our Lord Jesus Christ. For he who lacks these qualities is blind or short-sighted, having forgotten his purification from his former sins. What's he saying in all of this? Well, let's just take a couple of these, not all of them. First of all, he says, you want to know how to live in a dark world? Live morally excellent. Morally excellent. Now, I don't have to educate you on this. You're smart people. You know our world is upside down on immorality, right? And so God says, you be the shining light of what it means to be moral in this world. That will set you apart greater than anything else not just in the way you conduct yourself outwardly, but even in your attitude. You be the one who shows up to work tomorrow morning 
and has the morally excellent attitude. You may have had a bad weekend. You may have had a fight with your spouse who you love dearly, right? And you carry that into the workplace in your heart. But then you remind yourself that, hey, listen, I have been given a great salvation. I'm looking forward to the return of my Lord. He has sealed me with his power. I'm going to be resurrected to live forever. And so I'm going to be that employee that says, you know what? Life is tough at times, but here's what's good about it. And you be that person on display. Whatever comes along, you be the one living the way you should be living. That's what the Lord said in his Sermon on the Mount that we studied some time ago. He said, let your light shine before men in such a way that they may see your good works. He's answering our questions. How do I do this, Lord? Well, you just let my spirit out. You know, the spirit of God is like a lion in a cage. You just open the door and let him out. He'll do the work, right? You don't have to teach a lion how to devour something. He just naturally knows how to do it. We spend so much mental energy and heart energy trying to figure out how God is going to be able to work in a certain situation. And God says, that's not your business. You just live me and I'll do the work. You don't need to understand how it's all going to work out. Peter says this, back to 1 Peter, keep your behavior excellent among the Gentiles so that in the thing in which they slander you as evildoers, they may because of your good deeds as they observe them glorify God in the day of visitation. In other words, he's saying the same thing that we heard just a moment ago and that is, When people of the world watch your excellent behavior in heart, mind, and soul, they're going to wonder, what is it about you that's different? And when the Lord returns, they're going to glorify Him because their hearts will have been changed because of watching you. Peter also reminds the church to gain spiritual knowledge. That means to have understanding that's correct. He's specifically speaking about insight about life. Concepts, ideas, ideologies. The world has an upside down view of everything. Today we're living in right and wrong, where right is wrong and wrong is right. The world is so confused. But God says, no, you be different. You be steady in your mind and always come back to the truth of who I am to make sure that that's happening. And to do that, you have to be in the Word of God. That's what he's saying here. Look what he says to Timothy. This is the Awana theme. Be diligent to present yourself approved to God as a workman who does not need to be ashamed, accurately handling the word of truth. That word diligent means to be zealous, to be persistent. Accurately handling means it's the idea of cutting something straight. Those of you who have ever built anything, you know nothing goes up well that's crooked. God is saying, handle my word straight. It's, it's a building term. Precision in Bible study. You know, we're living in a day where God's word is so watered down. So watered down. People are coming away with the ideas of God's word as it's, as it's a, a great concept to follow. But the Lord is saying, no, 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 no. My word is to be handled with precision if you're to have an accurate interpretation. Dig it out. And you can only do that by study. And when you study, listen, you will gain self-control. That's what he's saying. It comes full circle. You want your mind to be clear? 
Study my word, and I will make sure your mind is clear, and you'll be able to think through the situations of life. Doesn't mean the world's going to agree with you. In fact, we've already said the world's not going to agree with you more than likely. But that's not what's important. We're not here to please the world. We're here to please the one who saved us. And finally, Peter says, if you don't display this kind of life, you prove that you too are still blinded by your own sinfulness. Isn't that what he said? Look at verse 9 again. For he who lacks these qualities is blind, or at least short-sighted, having forgotten his purification from his former sins. Now, Peter will go on to say a lot more things in that letter. I would encourage you to go back and read First Peter and, and, uh, and Second Peter. It's such a blessing. And just put yourself in the place of being a person who is looking for answers about how to live in an ungodly culture. And God will illuminate your heart. But see, it all starts with these remembrances. We've got to remember that we're not a part of this world. We've got to remember our great salvation and all the things we've talked about here. And when we do, we'll be able to charge forward in humility and, and peace of soul and not be blown about by all the distractions that come along and get overwhelmed with everything, right? Okay? All right. Just from a shepherd's heart to, to God's people. And I pray that we'll hear this and, and really begin to practice what the Lord has promised for us. Okay, let's pray. Father, we thank you for the glories of who you are. Uh, we really attribute everything to you because it was you who not only created us, but you came to rescue us. You knew that we were under the plight of darkness and we were under the curse of man. But yet in your divine mercy, you gave us a way to come out of that. And Lord, as I, as I listen to people throughout the week and I, I hear conversations and I see things myself across the world in the headlines, it's becoming more and more apparent that even God's people are forgetting the truth of what they should know. And so, Lord, just in a few moments here this morning, I pray that you will have reminded us of our solid rock, of our stable foundation, and that we will live from that and not the opposite. Lord, may we not be a people who listen to the world and come back and change the foundation, but we do the other. Thank you, Lord, for your mercy. Thank you for your patience. Thank you for your continual guidance. And Lord, may we have ears that are attuned to you so that we're not distracted by the evils of this world. We pray now in Jesus' name. Amen.